0: so welcome everybody this is your faded out update on the doreen vincent case we want to say thank you to everybody for being so patient because we last talked to you back in august of 2019 and it is now january of 2020 and there's still been so much activity on the followers of faded out facebook group as well as the new group which has started the sticky beaks group Um, which Jessica Fritz-Aguire has started. I'm Sarah Dimio, and Jessica Fritz-Aguire is here with me today. Hey, guys. And Jessica has been really taking charge of the Doreen Vincent case, leading the investigation. She was the lead investigator all through the second season of Faded Out, and she is going to be starting her own podcast called Sticky Beaks, where she's going to continue the Doreen Vincent investigation. And see where we go from there. And already you've collected a lot of new information, a lot of jaw dropping information. So um, why don't you catch all of us up? How has everything been going
1: since we last talked back in August? It's been crazy. First of all, this story has touched so many people. It's been bringing people out of the woodwork because they either have information to share with me or they have expertise to share uh, and strategies or uh, you know different ways of doing research. Just last night somebody sent me aerial maps of the 1316 property itself to take a look at so we could see what buildings are missing um, in the time since Doreen went missing. Um, I have spoken to a woman who uh, raises cadaver dogs. I've gotten in touch with a journalist and a filmmaker out of Madison, Connecticut and New York City who are doing a project on a cold case there in Madison but I think the big thing that we can start with is the fact that right as we were ending Faded Out in August, August 15th was then the first FOIA hearing. Just to bring you up to speed really quickly on this, I filed my FOIA request on Memorial Day weekend. They wrote back uh, within one day to deny me access to any part of the file. Under the Freedom of Information Act, citizens have access to every piece of public information unless there's an exemption and the exemption that they're claiming is that there's a prospective law enforcement action which will be taking place you know in the foreseeable future that being said when I went to the first hearing in August it is the police's burden to prove that exemption Um, in other words the assumption is I get the information unless they have they can prove the exemption it's their burden to do so Um, And the hearing officer asked them some really hard questions, much of which centered around the investigation itself. But really what their focus is, is is there going to be any sort of arrest and prosecution in the near future? Um, The police chief was there to testify. I asked him questions. The counsel for Wallingford asked me questions. But the questions were really based on what level they've gotten to where they could actually prosecute someone. And I'm going to tell you the truth, I don't think they're there. Uh, The state prosecutor wasn't there to give any information on any prospective law enforcement action. The hearing officer thought that was questionable because uh, it really should be the prosecutor's office that's talking about an arrest and prosecution and not the police. Chief Wright did say that he hopes there will be a prosecution shortly, but everybody hopes there'll be a prosecution shortly. Right. Um, You know, the Wallingford counsel has made the point in her briefs that the ideal behind any criminal investigation is a prosecution with a successful conviction. Of course, we all know that's true. The question is, in this case, is that more likely than not uh, at this point in time? And honestly, given what I've seen, of their work in the past and what any steps they've been willing to take against anyone responsible for this disappearance in the past. I don't see anything that's changed in 2019, which would, you know, arm them to be able to do that.
0: Well, I think that that's something that we need to point out too. And I think that anybody who was a listener during the Doreen Vincent story season two of faded out can sort of understand that when we first started telling the story, uh, the case was cold as cold can get. Um, There was no activity in Doreen's case. I mean, she was pretty much all forgotten about aside from just her her family and nobody had even heard her name. I had never heard of her. And, you know, you had never heard of her. Joe had never heard of her. And like nobody in the state of Connecticut had really heard of Doreen Vincent until no. we started saying her name. And really the only thing that was done within recent years was the organizing of her file in 2011 by Lieutenant DeMeo. So the likelihood of any prosecution in the Doreen Vincent case happening in 2019, with that being the status of her investigation
1: so far, really not a good likelihood, I think it is safe to say. Well, I'll give you one better. So, what they're supposed to do when I ask for the file, they're supposed to either say no and or give me stuff that uh, isn't is beyond the exemption. You know, certain things they have to provide me with, or they have to give me a log uh, going into detail on why they're not giving me certain information. They didn't do that by the first hearing, and they were ordered to do so. So. Again, you're, you're supposed to go over the file and look at it and call out the pieces of information which you're, you're expressing you're not allowed to give me because of the exemption and find stuff that maybe you can. My argument is that because they took less than 24 hours to get me a response, they didn't do that. And they definitely didn't provide me a log. Uh, when I did get the log, there was indication that there was uh, investigation and activity on the case in 1991. And then the case jumps to 2001. And then the case jumps to 2011. Now, I have a colleague who used to work for the Department of Public Safety for Connecticut, and she has given me um, a real primer on how to handle FOIA cases because she was the person responding to FOIA requests for the Department of Public Safety. She actually was the person who had to go through all the Sandy Hook information and determine what would be released to the public and not. She clued me into the fact that there has to be a supplemental report every time they undertake any sort of significant activity on a file. So on a hot file, you would expect something, you know, a report every time they talk to a new witness or every time they go out and do a search. But I'm telling you, this log says they did stuff in 91, 2001, 2011 which we know was DeMeo going through the file, like you just said. There's no 2003. There's no confession meeting. That's not even listed. And then all of a sudden, in 2019, you know, there's... This is funny to me. There's no indication, Sarah, of their contact with you and me and Joe. Um, th- their stance is they're taking this for a prospective law enforcement action when the last real work done on it was 2011. And so...
0: Now there's going to be another hearing coming up on February 3rd of this year, which is only a, about a week from today as we record this.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad I have the extra time because there's been a few things that I want to bring to the hearing officer's attention. Her take is that she's not sure that the police have proven the exemption. Now, after the first hearing in August, she asked both parties to write a brief on whether the police can even claim the exemption. She said, in every case where I've seen the state fight back against the use of an open case file, uh, it's always been the prosecutor who's testified that the stuff shouldn't be used because there's a prospective law enforcement action. Again, with all due respect to Chief Wright, he was there and he said, well, I hope there'll be a prospective law enforcement action. She's arguing, the hearing officer, that that's not enough. So we wrote a brief. And I said, with all due respect, uh, it was their burden. I don't understand why they get a second bite at the apple. They're supposed to prove the exemption. They didn't. But she is now having us back in. She asked for further testimony from the police as to what they're doing and why there's a prospective law enforcement action. So there is a new detective in charge of the case. Uh, His name is Mike Forenza. You'll remember that uh, Cola Volpe was given to us as the lead detective, then Anthony DeMeo, then Jim Cifirelli. Then after Jim Cifirelli was promoted, then we had uh, Steve Jakes and now it's Mike Forenza. So just in the about, I want to say, year and three months, Sarah, that you and I have been working on this, there's now a fifth detective in charge. Yeah, uh, And he's been called in to explain to the hearing officer why they can't give me this stuff.
0: And I think that that is um, kind of had been the theme since we started working on Doreen's case, too, because when I was first given the name Michael Colavolpe, um I got in touch with him and I explained what the Faded Out Project was. And it, w- it sort of became symptomatic of the police in this case to kind of put us off or defer us to somebody else because uh, my first, com- well, my only conversation with Kola Volpe really was he, I explained what we were doing and he responded with um, well, I can't really help you because I'm not really the person mm. in charge of the case. Uh, let, you know, he says, okay, let me get in touch uh, with the state's attorney's office. And if I get the okay from them, then I'll refer you to Lieutenant DeMayo.
1: Yeah, and I think that continues to be symptomatic. I've talked to people in touch with the Wallingford Police Department who have asked um, Mike Forenza straight up, have you been listening to the podcast? And he says, I have someone listening to the podcast for me. I don't want to cloud my judgment. Now, at the risk of tooting our horn, which I will, we have a whole reservoir of information, stuff that I've just dug up recently that I know the police don't have. And I just am at a total... I I totally fail to understand how the police haven't reached out. They still sort of consider us a joke. Well, I think that that's
0: been the case from the beginning, too. I think people immediately hear the word podcast and it's like, oh, yeah, whatever. And just kind of brush us, (laughs) brush us aside. Right.
1: But so this is another thing that I wanted to bring up. Teen Challenge. Now, I have not been in contact with Teen Challenge myself Uh, Because I have heard through the grapevine through many sources that they have two takes on Mark. One, he didn't do it. Or alternatively two, he did and he's safe in the arms of Jesus because he's been forgiven and he gets to now live his life with his conscience wiped clean. Right. It's either or. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And uh, I remember very early on, we started to I started to receive some uh, private messages on Facebook from a couple of people at Teen Challenge, a few of them, uh, which I won't name any of them, but I can think of about three different people that I heard from at different times and the attitude from those particular people was one of like, oh yeah, I totally, I I totally see where you're coming from. There's something wrong with this guy. He's got a bad temper. Um, you know, he none of us knew about this because he never talks about his daughter. Uh, this is not a known thing, and so a lot of them were really sort of disgusted that somebody like Mark was working in their presence, and because like you know, he already was known for having a bad temper, so he wasn't exactly on their good side anyway. And then to come to find out this entire story has been going on for 30 plus years, too. There were a few people within there who were very much supportive of everything we were doing.
1: Yeah. And that has been the case for me as well since August, since we sort of went off the, the radar and the air. But There have been a bunch of people from Teen Challenge who have tried to make this now into a circus. Um, There were a couple that were in the Sticky Beat group, and then there were a couple in the Followers of Faded Out Facebook page where I noticed um, them, and I noticed that they were Teen Challenge members. And so I got in touch and said, what are you guys here for? And they were there to strictly defend Teen Challenge. They were there to tell me what a great guy Mark was. They were there to tell me what a great program it was. And, um, you know, if you're just there to blow smoke, I'm really not interested. Um, I think they were more there to spy on the page, which, hey, I mean, if you're spying on the page, you're spying on the page. There is one mole that you and I have discussed. He got in touch with you first. I know he was talking to a couple people actually, you know, on the ground, people involved in, in, you know, Doreen's family life, who he's been in contact with. He fed me a whole bunch of stuff. And then he told me later, everything I told you was a lie. Yeah. Um, And that's on Facebook. One of my favorite quotes from one of the followers and one of the fans was um, this is the most dramatic Facebook page I've ever been on. And I'm in mom (laughs) groups, (laughs) y'all. It's it's crazy. We had one guy who uh, did a brief video on Teen Challenge. I got in touch with him and then they told me he died. They told me he had an overdose and he died. And then I got in touch with him the next day and he was very much alive.
0: Mm hmm
1: and all of a sudden he had, you know, a 5-minute script on Doreen's case that he wanted to read and then the next thing you know he's contacting me about going on the dark web and hunting Mark down and look i'm not i'm out i'm out i'm not about that life I'm, no i'm out, i'm about i'm out of that i mean look i want to hold the person responsible for whoever did this whether it's mark or not but i'm not there to go on the dark web and try to hunt people down Um, this person also was big into the you know the anonymous mask and stuff like that Um, he wanted me to have a party where we sold Doreen merch Um, that's disgusting that's not (laughs) no that's not what we're here for Um, and I I'm happy to talk to anybody at teen challenge but I'm not here to play games these people need to understand that they think they know what's going on and I know they have close contact with Mark or the people that surround him but you know I'm ensconced in this every day I know who I can suss out who's telling me the truth and who's not or who's being shady and who's not so you know for all the people that have tried to turn the Facebook page into this like circus drama I mean enough trying to find a little kid here
0: I think that that is uh something that we've dealt a lot with too is the you, you know not just within teen challenge but just a lot of um listeners of the podcast who come onto the Facebook groups strictly for the purpose of stirring the pot and yep. I think that that's um you know what and if that's if that's your thing, bring it somewhere else you know we, we're we're not here for that I mean this
1: little girl's been gone for almost 32 years now
0: so um,
1: well yeah and it's a waste of our time too it's a waste of my time to have to deal with your nonsense because I'm telling you there's there's so much coming to the fore uh, I should share that after the log was given to me from the FOIA hearing the cops were also required to provide me with uh, pieces of evidence and, and documents that they are I guess their argument is it doesn't go to a prospective law enforcement action so Um, I do have Richard Novia's file. Uh, I've gotten my hands on that. It's heavily redacted by the police department.
0: And let's just remind everybody who Richard Novia is. He was the private investigator, uh, original private investigator early on in Doreen's case.
1: Mm -hmm. He was one of four. I'm just finding out now. So I've been able to talk to two of the four and Novia's file has, I mean, it's rich with information. I mean, it comes with it, um, Mark and Donna's phone bills. I have I have a lot of names I've never seen before, people I've reached out to, been able to speak to. Um, I have the information on the church. I know that was a big uh, sort of blind spot for us when we were working on this, where that church was, and we couldn't nail it down. But uh, I've got the church. I've got the pastor. I've got Sharon's friend from church. I've got a woman that Sharon called at 1130 the night that Doreen went missing. Which would directly um, sort of uh, squash her alibi. Or feed into it because, you know, 1130 has always been the time that Sharon said she got back from church. You know, there's, there's a lot that's in that file that I can use to flesh out my theories on the case. One thing Joe and I have been talking a lot about is how We've had a lot of theories about the case, you know, theories about why Doreen might have gone missing or where she might be or what exactly happened to her. Um, Because, right, that's a big what if. Mm -hmm. I think one of the hardest things with this cold case is we don't have a body. Right. And we don't have a crime scene. Um, There's cold cases being solved everywhere, everywhere you look, right? Yeah. There's something... 20 30 40 years old but that was generally when they found a body or a crime scene and this one arguably you know allegedly was covered up and cleaned up and we don't have a body to work with so um when it comes to fleshing out theories on what happened to her novia's report and the other information provided has been extremely extremely helpful to me and I think the new podcast is going to be I don't want to use the word fun, but it's going to be very interesting to see all the listeners who are really intelligent, take all this information and try to put it in and fit it into their theories. And you might have to discard theories that you have. Um, I have recently and, you know, not even stuff that you and I talked about on the podcast, but there have been things that I've had in my head and I've had to chuck them out the window And I guess maybe I should be upset about that, but I'm not because what I like is having more information that, okay, I can chuck this theory out the window. We can talk about this with more substance. Um, One of those things is, you know, we talk about where she might be. The new information that I have has given me five different stories about the septic system on the property of 1316.
0: And that's really really interesting to me because i just remember when you spoke to jimmy farnham um he he brought up how um oh yeah the cops came and dug up our our septic tank uh, because they they thought the body might be down there and he he offered up that
1: information you didn't you certainly didn't think to ask about a septic tank of all things that's exactly right that was one of the very first things that he said and then I've nailed down what happened to the septic tank, and I will talk about it on the podcast. But I also want to take you down the path, the investigative path of who told me what about the septic system and when. And I think when you put all the characters together with all their different stories, you know, we're talking about a place where a, a missing little girl might have been placed. Um, it, we're not talking about what color shirt someone wore on a certain day or, you know, where someone went to lunch, we're talking about the final resting place of, of this little girl. And that just puts the hairs on the back of my neck up that there's five different stories. So you'll get to hear all the stories that people told me, um, you know, maybe tried to mislead me with. The very idea
0: of a dead 12 year old girl being stuffed into a septic system. Yeah. Chur- turns my stomach. That's the most one of the most disgusting
1: things that one of the most disgusting images I've ever had to think of. It's awful. And one thing that I really am going to be building um, in the storytelling on this podcast that I've realized is a lot of stuff happened in eighty eight, in early eighty nine before Tom Hanley took over the investigation. Um, we've had some strong words for Tom Hanley on this podcast, but. I do have to say, I think he did more than anybody in 1988 and 1989 early on. uh, There were so many clues that went missing and so many things that people didn't know about. I mean, that barn got taken down. We've talked about that. Yep. Um, Police weren't there. Police weren't there to make sure that evidence was, um, you know, improperly disposed of another big thing from 80 is everybody remembers. Paul O'Connell, the DEP officer who saw, someone matching Mark's description in a truck matching Mark's description, uh, carrying something that looked quote like a carpet or a kid into the woods. Yeah. Um, I tracked down Paul O'Connell and I interviewed him. So he is off the record right now, but there is stuff about our talk that I can share on the podcast. Um, I'm able to place Paul O'Connell in Huntington state park with someone taking what was some sort of incriminating information out of a truck. Um, I'm able to fill in the blanks a little bit more. I'm able to fill in where we are in Huntington. And I think what I'm going to do on the podcast eventually is take a tour of Huntington. It's, I don't know, it's some number of acres, hundreds of acres. But Paul O'Connell can put me right where he saw this person. And I can maybe not find something, but I can, you know, I can bring you there. I can put you in the time and place where Mark was, or excuse me, where Mark allegedly was when he was tossing something into the woods.
0: And I think that's something that we need to talk about too is just the overall attitude towards Doreen uh, throughout the 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 entire the entire 30 plus year investigation. The, the uh, from the get-go, she was sort of written off as a runaway and um, you know, a uh, problematic and just th- those types of words were used to describe her and um, you know, you If you were somebody who didn't know her, you just kind of take one look at her picture and sort of see like, you know, the double pierced ears and the black hair. And you might, you know, make some assumptions about her. And I think that that unfortunately um, has happened since very early on in this investigation.
1: Yeah. And I have always said that it was my assumption that she was treated or viewed like trash she's a runaway, she this, she that. Well, I've spoken to an anonymous source really close to the investigation who can put words into people's mouths about exactly what people thought of Doreen at the time in 1988 and 1989 and even beyond. You know, there's a reason that these red flags were screaming in 88 about this little girl going missing and the narrative that she was a runaway, that she was a problem child was bought uh, was because... You know, they accepted the word of a person propagating that narrative. Uh, you can look at Doreen's picture and see anything you want to see. It's funny, Sarah. I've never even noticed the double pierced ears, right? Right. What a bad girl thing to have. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, there was definitely a sense that she had moved to Wallingford only recently. I think Wallingford is a very insular town. The cops blew it off. For a while, and I do have information about what Donna and her sisters were trying to share with them. I have what they were trying to share with Novia, and I can I can look and see where those investigations fell short in looking for her. Uh, they had a year, and in that one year, that evidence was was really lost. And here we are, almost thirty two years later. And um, if if a different narrative had been employed or looked at or even considered, then we might not have the problem that's on our hands right now.
0: So when can we look forward to the new podcast Sticky Beak?
1: Oh God. So, well, first of all, I want to talk about Sticky Beak means um, it's New Zealand slang that somebody on the page gave me for a nosy person who shoves their nose where it isn't really welcome all the time. (laughs) Doesn't really take no for an answer. Uh, They actually said that with regard to, oh, are Jess and Joe married? Do they have a relationship? (laughs) I'm just being a sticky beak. And I just, I love that because I'm always sticking my nose where it's not wanted. You know, the, as many people that want to talk to me, they, there are as many people that want to shut a door in my face. Um, our original goal was I don't know if you know this, Sarah. You remember your first episode was a year ago on the 27th.
0: Yep. My first, ep- first episode of season two, Doreen's Case, that was January 27th, 2019. And. Funnily enough, as we record this today, today is the 25th. So we're getting right up to a year that that well, a year that the the podcast has been right. out. It's been well over a year that we've been we've been researching, Doreen.
1: So my original goal was to have it out uh, tomorrow that now I, I don't mean to make excuses, but I go to record, I go to write, I've got a lot written, I've recorded a little bit. And then I find a new piece of information, and that takes me sort of off the map for, for days, hunting people down, talking to people. Um, so I've talked to um, a friend of Georgia, Louis, uh, Mark's family friend who we visited on Father's Day and didn't tell Doreen was missing. I've spoken to more friends of Doreen. I've got more of Doreen's family members on board. Like I said, I've got Sharon's friends from church. Um, I'm meeting someone this afternoon to discuss what that person knows about this case. Uh, So I guess that's my long way of saying I'm trying to get it out to you as fast as I can. I then suggested uh, February 3rd and Joe reminded me I am not a football person. That's Super Bowl Sunday. So or the day after, oh, the everybody's day after. gonna everybody's yes. gonna be you know tired and <laughs> and hungover, a little dehydrated that <laughs> but day. But we also have the hearing on February third. So my thought was that I want to not only record the episodes as I have them planned, but I wanted to talk about FOIA a little bit um, because for me, I guess I just want to say this new podcast is going to be telling the story like Sarah did. Um, but it's also going to be about my day-to-day investigative work on the case. I want you to feel like I'm there, you're there with me uh solving it, putting the pieces together because it's it's gotten really personal too. I mean, I I've cried about this case. I can't tell you how many times I have, you know, when I'm speaking to family members, um I've been trying to be in touch with the media about this. You know, we we still we got some interest from the Record Journal recently. That uh I tend yeah. to shy away from because the last time they wrote an article about us it was all about us and I guess our personal failings. And not entirely nice either. Yeah, not nice. And um it was a recap. They recapped their story from two thousand one and put that above the fold. Yep. Uh that story has been debunked a lot. It's a great article. Um, but uh they they didn't really concentrate on the work we had done. They didn't concentrate on the the meeting at Gouveia, I think, Mm -hmm. as much as they could. That's another thing, guys, coming up on Sticky Beak. You all know that some drama happened at Gouveia. Yeah, that was an eventful day. I remember it It well. It was an eventful day. Uh, You know, there's people running around in anonymous masks at that, and I'll just, I'll keep it there, but I was there for all that. You know, you guys have heard rumors about what happened and cops and, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff, and believe me, I'll tell you all about it because- this this case I mean I'm living it day to day now and there's all sorts of stuff erupting all around me and so I'm trying to get it out as fast as possible I'm hoping for the week after the Super Bowl football's in my way I guess but uh yeah
0: and let's talk a second about just the personal investment too because um and because this is how when I first started faded Out doing the Johnny Gosh case I'm wondering if if you sort of feel the same way I do. I had followed Johnny Gosh's case for a year prior to doing, a, even thinking about doing a podcast. And I don't know why I was so invested in it. But I just, i I felt such a connection. And I knew every detail of the story. And I just my heart broke for Johnny gosh and I, I shed actual tears over it. And I had, I had no connection to the gosh family. I, I am not related to any of them. I'm not even, I don't live remotely close to any of them. I, you know, Johnny gosh happened out in West Des Moines, Iowa. I'm from Connecticut. Um, I couldn't explain why that case meant so much to me. Um And I feel like maybe that's a feeling with Doreen that you can kind of relate to that, you know, I'm not, you're not personally related to her or anything like that, but it's sort of an unspoken uh, connection. connection. Yeah.
1: You know, when you and Joe first asked me to become involved or asked if I would be interested in tagging along, I thought, you know, this is great. I love true crime stuff. I find it extremely interesting. I also was drawn to it because, uh, you know, I was 10 when she went missing in the next town so I thought oh wow this will be you know something to really sink my teeth into and then you meet her family and then you talk to all the people that I've spoken to one of the things I've noticed recently is I'll call people on this that my call comes out of the blue these people are stunned but they all say oh my god what a coincidence that you got in touch with me I was just thinking about Doreen the other day or I was just wondering what happened to Doreen, or I just said a prayer for her. I want to say to those people, it's not a coincidence that I'm calling you. You're, you've been carrying her around with you all this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll get into this on the podcast, but you know, in 1988 when I was 10, I don't know what it was about that year, but there were a rash of little girls around me uh, who I knew who were being victimized, um, You know, who were suffering. And I just remember... I don't know. I don't know if I came of age with that kind of stuff really early, but it stuck with me. And I it really, you know, made me think of the boogeyman. And, and I think to myself, there's just boogeymen out there. And, you know, 10 miles away, Doreen was, you know, living with something and she was suffering mm-hmm. and she is probably gone because of it. And that that just keeps me motivated because you know, the little girls who were victimized that I know, to the extent that they could, they have answers. And Doreen doesn't have any answers. and she doesn't even have a proper burial spot. And she had people who wrote her off as a runway and she has people who are pushing back on me even now. And that just makes me want to fight harder. Um, And then I hear all these stories because it's not just Doreen's story. It's the story of all the people who suffered her loss. And I am crying telling those people's stories. It's just, it's, it's very emotional and it makes me just, you know, first it makes me want to burn something down, but it just really drives me to find answers.
0: All right. So I think that that is definitely something that we're going to be looking forward to is the premiere of sticky beak. Um, I'm, I'm so excited. You know, so excited. We don't have a, a definitive release date yet, it's but coming it's coming soon, guys. guys. It's coming very soon. And um, the next FOIA hearing is Monday, February 3rd, correct?
1: Yeah. And I think what Joe and I plan to do is to cut an episode right after just to get, and we will be starting a Patreon, just a a small Patreon with extra stuff, maybe some Joe rants on there. Mm-hmm. You can have access to, you know, Exclusive documents and stuff like that, but I am gonna get a full FOIA episode out But I know people are dying to hear the -the up-to-the-minute update uh, And I think that's definitely something I can give I can't wait to you know put the suit on and the pantyhose and the heels and get in there and (laughs) You know just get it done because listen, it's been 32 years, but it's been so long just for us. I mean a year and a half almost of this and yeah still chugging so you know, not kicking over silly little stones anymore, I guess.
0: No. And half the battle has just been to let people know that we're not a joke and we're not going away anytime soon either. And I think that maybe that's something that um, has uh, been one of the the misconceptions among Facebook uh, groups, too, is people sort of thinking that we've disappeared and that for whatever reason that they've they've scared us away or whatever they think they've done it's like well no you haven't actually we're still here
1: it's been killing me to not put up everything I have (laughs) I like I want to put up something new every day and Joe I do put up something new every day but Joe has to remind me that all in due time I mean it's it's being written I'm taking my time with it and I think you guys are really gonna like it so thank you guys for for sticking with it I appreciate that
0: All right, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Doreen Vinson update, season two of Faded Out. We appreciate your patience, (laughs) and we (laughs) are looking forward to Sticky Beaks when it comes out soon.
1: Thanks, Sarah.